Welcome to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast, featuring Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne, discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nira Fundia, and Dr. Brian Feely. Uh, Dr. Drew Lansdowne is off golfing in Ireland. It's nice to be one of the junior partners who can uh, go across the the world to golf, but uh, we'll have him back on our next podcast. But um, obviously, this is week one of the NFL. Uh, tons of injury news uh, that came out this uh, this morning after the games on Sunday. Um, so let's go down and go ahead and break down some of the things that we saw. Um, maybe the first injury Brian will talk about, since it's not something we commonly see, um, is the pec tendon injury or pec tendon muscle injury uh, to what? Um, maybe you can tell our audience a little bit more about what the pec muscle is and, and what are the considerations when these, when it's injured. Sure. So your pec tendon is the, or your pec muscle is that main muscle that you feel on your chest. There's actually two pec muscles. Um, and then your main one is actually divided up into two different heads. So when you think about your chest wall and your, and your pec muscle, you can kind of, you can feel the one that you can feel is that's your pec major. So that comes and forms actually two tendons that it attaches onto your humerus um, or kind of right below your shoulder. The reason why this is so commonly injured in football players or relatively commonly injured is that when you're firing your chest muscle and your arm is being pulled in the opposite direction, that's a perfect uh, recipe for getting a muscle tendon injury. So what can typically happen in football, you can imagine you're trying to push forward as you're trying to tackle somebody. So you're firing that muscle and then your arm is yanked up and out, kind of against the uh, direction of the muscle firing. And then you can get two different kinds of injuries. One is the most common one where you pull the entire tendon off the bone. The second one, which is a little bit less common, but still pretty prevalent, is where you get a muscle tendon injury, very similar in a lot of ways to a hamstring injury, where you tear the muscle at the muscle tendon junction, and it will look a little bit different. Um, but the actual tendon is attached. And that's very different in terms of how we treat them. It, pretty much any time where you rip the entire tendon off the bone for a pec injury, we're going to recommend getting that repaired. And that invariably leads to six weeks in a sling, more or less, followed by another three to four months of recovery. So unless the Steelers are going to the playoffs, that's looking at a player missing most of the season, if not all the season. If it's a muscle tendon injury, um, similar to a hamstring strain, you're looking at four to six weeks at least of being out, um, but something that is recoverable, partially because there isn't really a surgery that makes that a lot better. And, you know, in terms of like where these tear off, do these, you know, do we usually see them tear off kind of up high or, or kind of off the arm? Because, you know, when you look at anatomy, you can see the tendon or sometimes insertions at different areas. Yeah, so most of the time uh, when you have a pec injury, it only ruptures in one location. It tends to rupture off the humerus or off the upper arm bone right below where the shoulder is. So as a patient, you usually know this it happens because most of us aren't playing in the NFL. Um, it usually happens with a bench pressing injury. So you add on for um, Drew, he adds on that third plate on each side. He's benching 305. He goes down, it's a little bit too much. And you actually will feel the tearing um, off the bone and then you get bruising up and down the arm. Now, you know, if you look at some of the studies, they say it's like an 85% return to play rate for, for individuals who have surgery. So obviously it's a relatively successful surgery. 
for people who are treated without surgery, is this typically like a, a four to six week recovery? Like, are there things that you're doing in terms of bracing afterwards to help people go back to play? Or are you just treating it like a regular muscle injury? And once you're fine, you're fine. Yeah, it's interesting. There's actually not that much data on the non-operative management of partial pec injuries. Um, for the most part, we treat them like any other muscle strain where once you start feeling okay, you can start increasing your strengthening and then um, plan on going back to play. The way that realistically usually looks tends to be about two to three weeks of really um, um, rest, uh, no real activity, let that muscle kind of heal and scar in, um, a few weeks of range of motion, and then um, strengthening. So you're looking at probably a month out to about six weeks out. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely looks like something that there is a potential, you know, for some type of season return based on surgery or not surgery, but uh, clearly an injury that we haven't seen, uh, you know, see very commonly, but interestingly that both the brother, the Watt brothers have both had pec major, you know, pec tendon injuries over the past couple of years. It's probably because they have such a big heart underneath it and they just, they give so much. Um, I wanted to ask you about an injury that's a little bit different, and we, we dealt with this a little bit with the 49ers last year, but Dak Prescott had a thumb injury, and they talked about it being a broken bone in the thumb. So why is that different than being able to rehab this non-operatively, and why does it seem so optimistic coming out of the Cowboys camp that this is something that Dak can get back relatively quickly? Yeah, you know, I think the the key consideration with any kind of finger fracture is number one, what what which finger is actually injured. Now, obviously, the thumb is the most concerning, particularly on the throwing hand um, of a of a quarterback. So, you know, obviously, here with the 49ers last year, Jimmy Garoppolo had what was thought to be a, a you know ulnar collateral ligament a strain to the thumb with probably a small fleck of bone. But based on what was reported, it appeared as if his his finger was stable, meaning that even though that injury was there. He was still able to grip. He was still able to throw, still able to do all those functions uh, without much disruption of the bone or, or, or the thumb. Based on what's reported about Prescott, this seemed to be, quote unquote, an unstable injury. And, and what some people are speculating may be something called a Bennett fracture, which is basically a fracture at the base of the thumb um, that involves the carpal metacarpal joint, which is basically kind of that, that part of the thumb down here. And when you have this type of injury, it's obviously very obvious on an x-ray and, and that whole joint is very unstable. So it'd be nearly impossible to be able to play football, um, particularly at the quarterback position with, with this type of injury. So the key with this is that you're thinking about a fracture. It takes about six to eight weeks for that fracture to heal. Surgery helps to speed up that process in a sense of the bone's still going to heal predictably in that period of time but it allows athletes to basically regain range of motion, work on strengthening um, as opposed to placing it in a cast. And I think there was another, a cornerback who, who broke their thumb, a cornerback, a quarterback who broke their thumb recently. And they're talking about a four week return to play timeline. And the cornerback, you can basically, you know, pad it, brace it and, and have them get back to play. But a quarterback needs that time to get their motion and mobility back. So um, clearly something that needs to be fixed. Um, and we'll have a six to eight week recovery, unlike, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, which seemed to be more of a soft tissue injury, even though there was bone involved. But obviously, each of these injuries are so different. And really what the x-ray looks like and what the exam is really determines when these athletes will, will go back to play. Interestingly enough, you know, people are talking about Garoppolo going to the Cowboys, which would be interesting, one with a thumb injury that was treated non-operatively. And now, you know, him getting a chance potentially with the Cowboys with a with a thumb fracture for Prescott. So it's kind of everything comes full circle. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that. So you're from Chicago. Yes. And for those of us that were listening to the game yesterday between the 49ers and Bears, 
we want to know first of all, were you trying to support the 49ers or were you trying to encourage the world's worst monsoon during that game? <laughs> I was, it was, I was, I was, you know, I was split, you know, I was hoping for a, a well thought out game uh, that showed that the bears had, had, a, had potential for the season while the 49ers would win. But Unfortunately, it showed that the 49ers had a, a very bad game in the monsoon and the Bears looked much better than anyone expected. Yeah, it's amazing how um, just like just a little bit of wind off of like Michigan turns the game around, because otherwise um, I do think the 49ers would have won. But I think that about every game. Right, exactly. You know, speaking of speaking of the monsoon and, and the, the rain. You know, a lot of people had questions about the impact of the field on, on knee injuries. I know we know kind of turf versus you know, grass, um, in your experience kind of covering games and, and I can chime in as well too. Do you see a lot more lower extremity injuries when it's that wet outside or does it just slow things down? Yeah, I actually think we see less the, you know, when we, it's been well established that plane surfaces do make a difference. Um, how patient or how athletes perform on wet versus dry turf, um, is very different, but what realistically happens is when it's, when things are slippery, um, and they're that, that kind of out of control slippery, we don't see very many knee injuries, mainly because you're going to slip and fall down before your um, foot gets stuck in the turf. Um, classically, when we think about field turf and the generation before the true artificial turf, it was often the hot, dry surfaces where everything is almost extra sticky, where it was a big deal. Whereas what we tend to see in wet, rainy conditions is just kind of crappy football. Like they can't make extra points. People are falling down. They can't make their cuts. So the injuries tend to be contact related injuries where somebody's falling down and runs into somebody at a different trajectory than you're used to. We don't really see the classic non-contact knee injuries that we tend to see. Yeah. I think it's key what you said. It just slows everything down. And I think that the issue with a lot of the soft tissue injuries and knee injuries, barring contact that we see, people are doing very explosive activities. Take that hard cut foot gets stuck in the ground or then someone hits them and then they, they kind of have that ACL tear, that hamstring injury. You just can't do that hard plant. So yeah, you may twist your ankle or something minor, but you're not going to see those, those large injuries. Speaking of, of contact injuries that did occur, um, you know, Elijah Mitchell did go out with a, uh, you know, a serious or quote unquote was reported as a serious knee injury, continuing the trend of the top 49ers running back getting injured every year. Um, but one of the things that was interesting is they ruled him out very immediately um, when you're on the, on the field, Brian, and you're, you're covering games, what are some of the things or what are the things we're doing that would cause you to, to rule someone out, um, right there on the field? Yeah. So I think one of the things that I think is really interesting and wonderful about our job is the on-field and on the sideline management of athletes. And really what we look for is, um, first of all, the initial thing is any catastrophic injury. So with a knee injury, could there be a true knee dislocation where the, um, tibia essentially is separated from the femur. And because in those cases, we worry about a vascular injury or injury to the blood vessels, injuries to nerves, things that need to be treated within the next hour, two hours. That's fortunately exceedingly rare. If you want to see what that looks like, you look at the old um, Willis McGahee injury um, where he was hit and you can see his knee kind of flopping. So usually when those happen, everybody in the stadium knows um, usually the other team is as adamant to get um, you on the field as quickly as possible. So barring those injuries, we're looking for things that are essentially make the knee unstable. And those are usually, especially in the first hour afterwards, those are ACL injuries, the uh, an MCL injury or other ligament injuries. 
The reason why those are pretty easy to rule people out with is because the knee feels um, qualitatively and quantitatively different than the other side. So for an MCL injury, even on the field, you can see them testing just to see if the knee opens up, if you can move the knee to the outside a little bit more than the other side, or they with an ACL injury, can you move the knee forward a little bit more to the, than to the other side? Um, that is usually enough right off the bat to be able to determine whether or not the athlete can go back in. Certainly for somebody who cuts and cutting on a wet surface, like we just talked about, is going to be harder. So if you don't, if you even if your MCL doesn't feel very loose, even a tiny bit loose is enough to take your running back out because the next running back up is going to perform better than a running back on a slightly unstable knee. And then on the sideline, it's more about performance. Um, so let's say you have somebody who comes out of the game, you're testing them, their knee feels fine, their ligaments are all stable. You've effectively ruled out um, any meniscus injuries just by where they're tender but they're still really uncomfortable and they can't really bear weight as much as they want. They can't cut and load. Um, it may not be a safety issue for the player, but it may be a performance issue and it may be an overall issue for the team. And I think where that really comes in is with offensive and defensive linemen, but particularly you can imagine for an offensive lineman, if they, if their knee feels just a little bit unstable, there's no ligamentous physical instability, but they strain their MCL or they got hit hard enough in their knee that they cannot perform at the level that they need to, to be able to effectively block and protect their quarterback, block and protect their running back, then they're going to come out for the safety and the overall performance of the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's interesting, whenever players get injured, one of the things that everyone always looks at, which doesn't necessarily correlate is if, if they appear to be limping, if they appear to be walking. I mean, I've seen people, you know, with, with really serious knee injuries who are walking totally normally. And then you have someone who has really nothing wrong with them who are limping kind of really laying down on the field. So I think the ability to bear weight, you know, doesn't necessarily correlate with the severity of the injury, even though people try to make predictions based on what they see with how they're walking post game, et cetera. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing that, that doesn't necessarily correlate with, with the degree of injury. Um, is that yeah. something similar you've seen as well too? Yeah, I think um, things that you know your fantasy player is out or your favorite player is out, the cart coming out on the field, your player is out. Um, the cart taking you to the locker room, your player is out. Um, it is going, your player coming back on crutches after being in the locker room, your player is out. Player coming out in street clothes. Um, you know, I remember a game where Deion Sanders came out in basically a mink coat and like, yeah, he's probably not going back in. Um, in general, uh, once the helmet is removed too, usually that's a good sign because that means that it's been taken away. So there's no confusion between the athletic training staff and the coaches. Your player is not going back in, which doesn't necessarily mean that's a six week injury. It just means they are out for the rest of the game. Yeah. And I think the final kind of injury that we see a lot of, we saw, I think, um, Goodwin, um, had a, you know, playing coming back from his ACL had a hamstring injury. There are a couple other, uh, hamstring injuries as well, too. Um, I think it'd be confusing because there's a lot of grades of severity for hamstring injuries, particularly for, for various players. Um, what are some of the criteria we look at in terms of, you know, when an individual may be able to return from a hamstring injury and when is it the most serious kind of, what are some of the factors you're looking at? Yeah, I think this is one of those times where I think you can base a lot of it on physical exam and then we use MRI to kind of augment that. So realistically, hamstrings are really common injuries, um, both in the NFL, but also uh, in the NBA and in baseball and even in everyday life. It's one of the most common muscles that we strain. Um, for me, in terms of gauging return to play, um, it really, to a certain extent, depends on position. So for running backs and for 
um, wide receivers, their ability to explode forward is actually easier than your defensive team. You're, if you think about how a linebacker or cornerback has to often start moving, it's backpedaling. So that first step is with your hamstring, taking your first step backwards. So they need to be essentially 100% before I send them back. Um, in terms of like physically, what do you actually look for in your patients in terms of when they you think like, okay, this player is ready to test it out, ready to perform at 100%? Um, you know, I think that for, for in general, I think you want to make sure they're not, you know, tender over that area, you know, kind of on the exam, you want to make sure there's no tenderness, they've got full mobility, um, full strength. But I think the key is, is that once that happens, you don't necessarily go out and sprint right away. Um, it has to be kind of a general, okay, well, let's start jogging a little bit, then let's try slowly ramping it up. And you're looking for the absence of pain. And we know that unlike other sports with football, you're basically doing something really explosive, and then you may be sitting for a period of time. So you really need that muscle or tendon area to be healed up. But I think um, there is a lot on clinical exam that we're going off of. And I think whenever you do hear um, that a player is getting an MRI for a hamstring strain, you have to be concerned that it's a little bit more serious. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of it's clinical exam, but if the pain is a little bit more severe, you got like Jimmy Ward here in the 49ers or um, you know a couple other players, then you are worried, is there a partial tear? Is there potentially a complete tear? And then you know some of the things that have been shown in the literature to correlate with return to play are, you know, obviously which muscles involved, what's the cross-sectional area of the muscle involved, where exactly is the injury anatomically, how much inflammation is there. And then you start talking about other things that may potentially speed up play or may, you know, take you away from play um, as well too. So I think that the, the MRI is a sign, ooh, this could be a little bit worse. Then you're thinking maybe is this a four to six week turnaround for a grade two or, uh, you know, a grade three, which is a complete tear eight to 12 weeks. But I think the vast majority of these usually turn around in, in seven to 10, seven to 14 days. The problem is if you're getting these injuries week one, then you're going to get, uh, you know, then you're worried about this injury becoming recurrent as, as time goes on. Yeah, I think that's the main thing is avoiding that second injury. Um, and I think that's what we talk about more. Uh, I'd say 90% of the time with hamstrings, it's the first injury is okay. It's recoverable. You'll get back. You try to go back too soon um, where you're still having symptoms. That second injury is going to take longer to come back. Exactly. Right. Well, obviously a lot of lot of injuries this first week. You also had Mac Jones's back spasms. Lots to talk about, but we won't we won't go into the, the back. We both try to avoid that. So um thanks again for listening to our podcast. I'm sure we'll have lots of NFL content in the NBA preseason starting up in a couple of weeks. So uh we look forward to having you guys listen and uh asking us any questions on social media. Thanks.